even on the launch of this book, um, you know, sending out a post on LinkedIn and someone I didn't know who had lost a child messaged me to say I'd lost a child. And so, it, it, you know, I don't see a lot of men sharing out there. I don't think it's very easy for any of us. 24 hour nursing care a day for years, not counting, you know, all the medical procedures, not counting, you know, three major surgeries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think her bill was over $10 million. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board-certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth Podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. Hi, I'm Ted Yang. Uh, I am a uh, father in uh, New Canaan, Connecticut. I am married to my wife, Christine, and we had uh, triplets born at 24 weeks uh, 12 years ago. And uh, 24 out of 40 is not a very high percentage. And so my children were super premature. And because of that, uh, we went through hell and back uh, fighting for their lives. Um, and I wrote all about that in my book, Table for Five. I met my uh, wife, uh, well, geez, now I feel old, but uh, a while ago, um, I had just graduated college and she um, had uh, an internship in Boston and uh, she actually uh, stayed at my fraternity house. We had rented out rooms to girls, uh, clever people that we were at MIT. And uh, we uh, kind of got to be friends first and then uh, dated when she went back to school. And uh, I, lived, I moved to New York City. I lived there for a while. And it took a while for us to get married. You know, we're pretty young and what have you, but we got married in 2003. And then uh, the birth of our children happened uh, in 2008. And so uh, from the beginning, we uh, you know, knew that we wanted to have children. I actually personally, uh, for a while, didn't want to have children. I uh, come from a pretty strict household. I'm the son of uh, two Chinese immigrants who had to uh, first flee for their lives to Taiwan. And then, uh, you know, in order to get to the promised land that is America, I had to get to Canada and get degrees because they uh, weren't letting people in uh, from Asia till late 60s. Uh, and then if only if you had, uh, you know, the advanced degrees and high earning potential, as it were. So they studied and uh, uh, met in uh, Canada when their master's degrees and moved to the U.S. And so they made it very clear to me uh, when I was a kid that uh, I had to make good on everything that they had sacrificed to be here. And thankfully, you know, I'm kind of a whatever overachiever type kid and that was fine. But uh, the way that I was raised, I really just didn't think I was cut out to be a father. But, uh, you know, what happens when you fall in love and you you know, stay with a partner for a while and, uh, you know, biology and all that. And uh, sooner or later, we, uh, before we got married, thank thankfully, uh, agreed that we wanted to have children. And then uh, by the time uh, it kind of all rolled around, uh, thankfully, we were here uh, in Connecticut. I am a planner. I'm an engineer by training again. So I wanted to have a lot of the ducks in a row. And thank God for that, because really, we could not have anticipated, um, no one can anticipate, uh, the magnitude of problems that we had because our children were so premature. Um, anyway, my wife 
uh, around week 23, uh, first uh, it started to have problems and uh, we really wanted to stave off the pregnancy, of course, because we knew uh, from, from a while ago that this was high risk because of uh, you know, three at once but also that the, uh, the earlier they were, the bigger problems they were. Well, unfortunately that uh, couldn't happen. So at uh, 24 weeks and five days, uh, she gave birth at Yale New Haven Hospital. And really that's the beginning of the story because what, uh, what ended up happening um, was that we uh, uh, were in the NICU ultimately for eight months before my daughter came home. And when she did come home, she came home with a uh, breathing tube and on a ventilator. And then I ran a NICU out of my house for four years, basically. Uh, we had 24-hour nursing, and it required three major surgeries, uh, reconstructions of her airway in order for her to breathe out of her mouth and her nose like you and I do. And beyond that, then she had to learn how to eat because if you can't breathe out of your mouth or your nose, you can't swallow. And how do you teach a child how to swallow? It uh, turns out there are some therapists that do that, very specialized therapists. But uh, it, it basically took six years before all of the medical things and risks were done. And, and that's very, it sticks very, um, that those six years stick in my mind because the outcome for my other children um, was kind of mixed. So my son um, came home from the NICU around his due date, so about three, four months in. And he uh, came home fine. He was pretty much fine, you know, small, uh, but okay. Um, but he ended up uh, being diagnosed with autism some years afterwards. So both my children have their challenges and ongoing. Uh, and then unfortunately we lost our third child, uh, my son Raymond. He passed uh, a week after um, his birth. Um, he uh, died of uh, necrotizing endocolitis, uh, which is just another fancy word for sepsis, which is just a fancy word for infection. Um, and so he, no one knows exactly how, there's 101 different possibilities of how. Um, necrotizing endocolitis refers to a breakdown of the bowels, um, but it could be cause or it could be effect or it could be correlated, un unclear. Anyway, uh, he made it a week, died on September 11th, 2008. And the, the six years is poignant because I think it took, it wasn't basically until six years that we, uh, I, I should say, my wife may be a little bit different more than me, but I, uh, really was able to grieve because the day after he passed, uh, the day after he died, we were back in the NICU fighting for the other two survivors, right? Um, we literally the same room and, uh, you know, the same doctors or nurses, right? And, uh, and that's what we had to do. And again, between the four years and the six years and all of the other medical things that we went through with my daughter, where was the chance for us to stop? And there wasn't one. How could there be, right? You had to keep pushing. You had to keep fighting. So in all of that time, um, what stuck out to me was that, well, one, I don't know how I survived, certainly not the first 18 months. My wife and I talk about it now. We don't know how we got through that. Um, I think the most important thing was we had to lean on other people, realize we were not alone. You know, like I say, I go through in my book, Temple for Five, there's, there's, there's on and on about those stories and the detail, uh, but the, I don't know how we got through it. It, it's you really only by taking one step out of the time and, you know, family resources and those things were around and that was good. But really, and this is really leading to why I wrote the book in the first place, for a lot of those years, there weren't any resources uh, for dads. Now, talking to this with my wife, now actually one aside on this was uh, when I decided to write this book, 
and that was until maybe, you know, Mike and the kids are eight or nine. Um, I first encouraged my wife to do it um, because she's a liberal arts major. I'm, uh, you know, again, I'm the engineer and uh, she didn't want to do it. And that's fine. You know, she's more of a private person than I am, uh, you know, even though she's a better writer. And I then decided I'd work on it and did it for two years before I even told her I did it. And so I got to the point where I had already brought on an editor and was almost finished with the manuscripts before I told her this June uh, for her birthday. And anyway, when, uh, she was, it's all good. She's very supportive and, and you know, thankful for that. And uh, one of the things that she pointed out, though, was in the story and in, in terms of what we were going through, that the resources weren't there for her either. And I think everyone would agree with that. And when I say resources, I mean for the gamut of things. But specifically, I'm referring to you know, child loss, regardless of how that happens in the hospital setting, as well as, um, you know, the ongoing, you know, trauma, um, you know, the PTSD, if you will, that is inflicted on parents when they have very sick children that they are mostly powerless to help, right? That is uh, not a very comfortable place for people to be. And, uh, you know, look, I, this is a while ago and Yale's resources have gotten significantly better. However, um, they were wholly inadequate I think for both family members, parents, uh, mothers, and fathers, but relative to fathers, they were non-existent, right? So it wasn't even go talk to the grief counselor or, hey, get together with other dads. It was, you know, you're not even here. And um, I think one of the problems, at least from, from my perspective, was, you know, I, I'm part of the problem too, right? Meaning I, I'm not, an, uh, you know, maybe perhaps stereotypically in this sense, you know, going out there and telling people, hey, listen, I got lost a child, I need help. I, you know, I you know, tried to be strong, right? And I think one of the problems is that the, you know, they, they, they kind of played into that, right? So they were more than happy for the dads who probably needed someone to break down the walls. They weren't going to break down the wall. I'm guessing you heard a few comments around how to support your wife, how to support your wife. Is that true? Absolutely. And, 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 you know, it's, 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 look, I'm the first person to say that the woman who, you know, bears the child needs the care, right? There's the hormones, there's the physical aspect of it. There's all of that. There's her own health, right? Which is at risk in the early days. Um, and so I totally get it. And so I totally get that. But then to really kind of pretend that I don't exist and say, Hey, listen, how, how's your wife doing? And and this is family and friends, and, 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 you know, but e even professionals, right? And it's 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 kind of you know depersonalizing for her and for me, right? Uh, it's a crazy thing. You said something else earlier that I always think about. You said I don't know how we got through it, and sometimes I think about life stories, and I'm like, you know, who's to say we got through it? Just because my heart kept beating is to say we got through it. I mean, what do you think about this, Ted? this phrase that we got through it. What does that, what does that even mean, right? You're right. And actually, that's another reason I wrote the book, right? Because writing the book was cathartic to put it down on a page and really sort through what does it mean. And one of the things I discovered, especially when you get towards the end of the book, is that it isn't over, not by a long shot, right? Because this wasn't an episode that happened and then, you know, everything went back to normal. Like, how could it, right? When you lose a child, the child doesn't come back and future children don't replace them. And uh, when, uh, you know, the problems that were resolved medically for my children, thank God, um, they moved on to other problems, right? The developmental disabilities, the autism, you know, the lingering uh, health uh, problems and um, disabilities that my daughter has, that it isn't settled, right? So what does it mean? I don't think it means anything. I think it's perhaps something you tell yourself, but it's something you need to tell yourself. Right. That's the other thing. Right. So on the one hand, it, 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 there isn't an absolute ending. 
um, or an absolute I'm over it and we're, we're past this. But on the other hand, you do need to have some of that, otherwise you couldn't live, right? So that's part of it too. Hmm. Wow. Was there anything that you can recall in those early days and weeks that somebody said to you that was helpful and was supportive? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that was absolutely critical towards our health and the, and the health of my children, frankly, was that we had a friend who happened to be a neonatologist. So interestingly enough, we met this, this couple on a cruise, which is bizarre, um, while my wife was pregnant because we knew like they would call that a baby moon, I guess now. Um, we didn't call it that. We just called it a, geez, was the last time I'm going to take vacation forever. Um, turned out to be so true. Anyway, um, and we met this other couple um, who uh, were, you know, on the obviously other side of it with, with adult children, um, who the this guy, um, Dr. Bob, um, and uh, Bob Roth is his full name, um, you know, was a, a neonatologist out in San Francisco and actually had had led uh, the, the neonatology, neo, oh, geez, I don't know if it's neonatal transport or pediatric transport, but for the state of California. Anyway, uh, just so happened, which is amazing because he was both a father and of a physician and you know an administrator so he understood all the different aspects of it and without uh, unfortunately he passed away some years back um but i dedicated the book to him uh as well as one of the nurses one of sophia's nurses who unfortunately also passed uh, on both too early but anyway uh if it wasn't for him i i don't know how right because he was able to, to relate on all those different levels uh, to me i in terms of what was actually said it's funny because i don't remember a lot of the actual stuff i can remember some amounts of detail of like perhaps unimportant things and friend you know i and I, I do think it is you know traumatic it was traumatic and so you know my memory uh is sparse for that reason um but i do know that a lot of it was um just you know frankly the kind of support that you would want to have uh from any other human being yeah it's interesting what you said that you don't remember the words because it isn't ever the words that people say to us that we remember, but it's, it's how they made us feel with the words that they said. So you forget the words, you remember the feeling. Absolutely. And, and as I said earlier, one of the problems is, is, is powerlessness, right? And, uh, you know, you're the observer. I mean, again, especially as the father, but um, even you know, as a mother, once the children are out there and they're, you know, they're in their incubators and we're, we're, we're trying to, you know, fight for them. Um, you know, we're, we're, first of all, directly can't do anything. We're doing it through the nurses. Maybe later on, we start participating in their care. And then of course, then she came home, we had to be uh, directly doing her care. But most of it, it's, it's powerlessness, right? And, and for me, I, you know, as, again, as the son of immigrants, the, you know, who've kind of walked a path and, you know, have been very you know, blessed with a lot of different things in my life, um, but also worked my ass off to do it, uh, not being able to do anything is very difficult. And I remember that's the one thing that Bob, I know, you know, as you say, feelings, I don't know what he said, but essentially making that okay for someone like me, mm -hmm. right? Make, normalizing it for someone like me uh, was huge and absolutely a gift. Yeah, it's a common experience for partners through even a healthy, regular, ordinary, everyday birth to recognize their own powerlessness in the experience, but yours was something that turned into trauma. It affected you and your wife and all your extended family, and it lasted for years and years with chapters to it. So at what point did you come out of a crisis mode 
and start to recognize that there was a lack of anyone to talk to, a lack of support, a lack of recognition of the emotions you were experiencing? You know, I, I, it certainly wasn't in the first couple of years, um, as I said, because th those were the most tenuous times. Um, as, I, as I talk about, uh, you know, in the book, there were several incidents where uh, Sophia, you know, died on the floor of our family, literally. Uh, there's one particular incident um, that, uh, you know, in the middle of the night and, uh, you know, the, we, so again, we had nurses 24 hours a day. And the reason you have to have nurses 24 hours a day is because your breathing tube is, you know, tiny, right. And it's about your tiny little baby with a tiny little breathing tube and it took about 90 seconds to suffocate. And so there's a hundred different things that can go wrong blockages, you know, even in normal things, not even, you know, extraordinary sickness or illness, just in normal, you know, moving around and then the trach gets dislodged or what have you. And so she needed a nurse 24 hours a day. And when uh, the nurse was unavailable because the weather we have here, you know, it does snow or it certainly snowed a lot then. <laughs> and uh, then my wife would, I, with no warning would have to cover 12 hours and be the nurse. Mm -hmm like end of story that doesn't matter during the day during the night or what have you and you know sometimes you know there would be days we went through some pretty bad snowstorms i recall uh and and it would be just her and me to switch back and forth back and forth back and forth back and forth uh, just to be the nurse um because someone had to um anyway the during all of that right during all of that uh, trauma and what have you um I, I don't. I didn't have any time to to go out and think about you know what does this all mean to me Your needs. and what resources do I need? No, of course right. not. I mean we were we were living uh, you know to to really for her survival and some of my son, but my mother was living with us at the time because someone had to watch my son. Um, and anyway, uh, so it was sometime after that. I think maybe one of the first times was uh, when we were down in Philadelphia uh, at CHOP for her, her, this is her second reconstruction of her airway, the first one that we did there. Um, we had to stay there for, you know, 10 days, right? Because uh, these were major, you know, 10 plus hours in the OR with, you know, billion surgeons, you know, million dollars plus, uh, you know, surgeries that required a week of recovery. Um, you know, they literally rebuild her airway, um, take tissue, graft it, you know, do the whole nine yards. And because of that, um, you know, and my son was here with my mom and, uh, you know, a, a housekeeper. Um, and, uh, we were down there and, uh, you know, my wife and I were like, well, you know, we actually had a chance to actually, A, even be a couple, but also even start to digest and talk about it. So that was some of the first times I think we were able to talk about it and then say like, well, now what kind of support? are we getting? But interestingly enough, at the same time, while that's happening, we're still getting medical care. And at CHOP, a, a similar thing happened where, uh, you know, they asked my wife whether she would want to stay uh, in the room with my daughter, Sophia, um, you know, as she recovered. They didn't ask me. <laughs> Why would they? Right. <laughs> right? And, 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 you know, I remember that distinctly. My wife doesn't remember it quite so, so distinctly. But for me, it was, it was, it, again, like, it, it, again, I was like, at the one hand, it was, well, that's surprising. You didn't ask me. And the other hand, like, okay, I get it, right? I understand why you didn't ask me. But still, like, you could have, right? And so there was definitely a lot of awareness that, again, the resources are not geared there uh, for fathers. And, and, and for me, even then, you know, looking out and saying, you know, are there other people who've gone down this journey that I can even, you know, just at least draw some strength from or understand how they screwed up so I won't screw up maybe, right? And, and, and you know, and, and by here, I would say, you know, in, in, in any form. Right. Um, you know, again, there were some, but, you know, even 12 years later, by the time this book came out, when it just came out last month for uh, National Prematurity Day on, on the 17th of November, um, it uh, there's nothing there. There was nothing there. Uh, there's there's a few more stories now 
uh, from a father's perspective, but there's still not enough where I could have been like, you know what, so-and-so already did that and did it better than me. <laughs> so I, you know, but it, it wasn't there. So, I, you know, I, it's not that I'm a voice in the choir. I think, unfortunately, um, I'm, I'm kind of shedding some light on things that uh, haven't been, you know, have been in the dark for a while. Did you ever get support other than the friend in California? Did it ever come through? Yeah, of course. I of mean, course. did you I ever mean, have a men's group? Did you ever have a support group? Did you oh. ever have substantial support, ongoing support? Or I don't mean did people care about you theoretically and ask you how you're doing now and then. I mean, did you ever really have support that was holding you up, a place to go when you needed to go that was just available at the ready? Did that ever develop? No. Oh, my God. <laughs> so you're really at the, yeah. you're at the forefront of what you want for other men. You're, you're creating what you to this day really never had. Yeah. How are you doing that? <laughs> yeah, well, so I think there's a couple different things, right? I mean, one I think is awareness that you're not alone, right? That's the first thing that it has to start there. That it, it, you're not alone and it's okay to be, you know, more vulnerable and open up, right? That's that's the perhaps the first step, right? And I think that's, you know, getting the book out there and, and, and awareness of the book is, is the biggest way to do that. The, it, there are some men's groups, so interestingly enough, um, my wife is, um, you know, uh, she's been the vice chair and she works um, uh, as a volunteer for the, the Tiny Miracles, which is a uh, nonprofit that helps the families of uh, parents with a, a child in the NICU. And there is actually a men's group of sorts within that. <laughs> and so I have then, you know, in the last couple of years, and it's more than a couple of years, maybe three or four years uh, that she's been working with them, uh, you know, talk to some of these other fathers and now at least at least understand that there's some other stories out there. But it's not proactive. So even within Tiny Miracles, interestingly, there's still not a lot of helping fathers. And it's something that they're themselves working with and working on. Um, I was just talking with the people at the March of Dimes, and they're also interested in doing this, uh, not, you know, supporting from a story perspective, um, families, and then also trying to put it together, you know, let's call it, um, you know, dad's groups or whatever you want. Mm -hmm. But just, just an idea of saying, like, it's a safer place that you can talk about this um, to other people who either are going through it or have been through it, right? Um, so I, I, it's starting to happen. I see that, you know, as part of the vision, right, of, like, creating more opportunities um and then you know my, i would want that awareness to be spread through you know all essentially hospitals because that's where you people would learn about it right my brother-in-law had uh, also a similar experience because um this is my, my wife's sister had some some issues um you know regarding uh you know uh, uh, miscarriages and what have you and uh you know he experienced exactly what you said earlier which is everyone was asking him how she was and I went out of my way to be like, hey, dude, how are you? Uh, right? And I said, listen, I, I know no one asks. And I know. I don't have to. I, don't, I, I know this. I don't, you don't have to tell me no one has asked you because I know no one has asked you right. because they don't do that. Right. So I'm asking you, how are you? Right? And, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, this is my own way of doing this, of trying to help other fathers, you know, the people at least that I know in my circle, right? And uh, if that could be broader and it could be more, uh, you know, shared across the, the different dads who are in the situations, unfortunately, that would be, you know, a fantastic thing. Ted, what's it like when you ask these fathers, what kind of responses are you getting from them? Like, how willing are they to share and open up about their feelings? You know what, it's mixed. It's mixed. Um, so one of the things that I the way I lead the book is with a discussion about, um, uh, lunch, 
right? So I have, I'm an entrepreneur. I, I, I like to meet a lot of people. I'm pretty extroverted. So I have lunches a lot, right? Well, not now, COVID and what have you, but uh, prior, um, I'd have a lot of lunches. And at lunch, you know, a lot of times people will just say like, hey, you know, tell me about your family or do you have kids or something like that. And for me, it's very simple because once they say that, um, they go, oh, well, do you have kids? How old are they? And if I say 10, 11, 12, whatever age they were, then and it's the same age, right? So then someone immediately comes back and says, oh, you twins, but that's great, fantastic. And now, now I have to say, wait, well, hold on a second. Because if I say you're right or cool, then I'm, you know, denying the existence of my soul. But here's the thing, though, right, Cynthia, like, and, and Trisha, I, I do it anyway, right? Well, it's the kind of person that I am 99% of the time. Now, sometimes I have a very, very specific goal, you know, out of that lunch, and I want to keep it much more professional. But more often than not, I'm like, you know what, you asked, so I'm going to tell you, um, you know, and that's fine. And so it's it's been something for me that I, over time, I've, I've kind of constantly been kind of getting out there and saying something. Uh, I have to go out there and say something. And sometimes when I say something, so I, I hear a story back. So someone I'm having lunch with says, you know what? I've lost a child too. Mm-hmm. Um, even, even on the launch of this book, um, you know, sending out a post on LinkedIn and someone I didn't know who had lost a child messaged me to say I'd lost a child. And so, it, it, you know, I don't see a lot of men sharing out there. I don't think it's very easy for any of us. I don't, by the way, I don't think I'm in special. I think I just, you know, just took time to come to this awareness. Um, I, I, I don't think, you know, again, it's not, it's not a lead off question for, for mothers or fathers. Right. Um, but certainly I think, you know, for men, it's, it's caught up with all the be strong and silent and, you know, you're there for her kind of stuff. I think some of the most eye-opening things that uh, we learned when we did our stillbirth roundtable episode last March were statistics show that the the median peak of when the grieving hits lost parents the hardest is at around four months. And that's the first thing that was incredible because the support, whether it's good support or not so helpful support, comes around the mother and or the parents in the beginning, by four months, usually it's radio silence. And then that is linked to another problem. And I myself grew from participating in that episode and pulling together that episode with Trisha. When the moms made really clear by saying, please never stop talking about my child. Please always ask about my child who's gone. Please remember my child's name. On Mother's Day, Father's Day, please acknowledge that this child existed. And I remember saying, I think the fear, I can feel it in me is like, I'm afraid to upset that parent. And they said, you can't remind us that we lost a child. So please ask, because all we want is that the world remember this child existed. Yeah, I I completely agree with it. And and exactly what you said, you you don't need to remind me I lost a child. I, 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 you know, I don't think I forget. Because I'm I'm guessing when people ask you and you and they say, oh, twins. And you're like, well, actually, we had three. We lost one. I'm guessing a lot of them are like a little bit. Sorry, I asked sort of thing. And for you, it's like, no, because now I get to be seen. Now I'm actually having a more authentic lunch. Now you really know who you're having lunch with. Exactly right. Exactly right. And, 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 you know, interestingly, I think I took this out of the more recent drafts, but I think earlier on some of the drafts of the book, I go, well, you know what, if you don't want to have lunch with me, that's fine. Right. Like this is who I am. Right. Like end of story. Now, of course, I, again, I, I come from a different place, you know, in my life where 
I don't have to worry too much about this. I'm not in a, in a position where I can be more, you know, equals with people that I'm eating lunch with. I'm not necessarily in you know, a job interview. I'm not sure exactly that would be the right scenario, <laughs> but yes, uh, I think that's right. And I, um, four months, interesting. I didn't know that, you know, in my own story, that was when Daniel came home, mm-hmm. right? So he came home and then now we had to deal with a whole new thing. We had to deal with splitting our attention between a son that was home and going to the NICU uh, again, where my daughter was still. And then it took another four months for her to come home. So it's the four month thing is very interesting to me. Didn't know. Well, for you, I imagine it's different. And I keep thinking of Joe Biden, actually, in your case. Do you ever think about the similarity? But, but here's why. Because when he talked about his wife having the car accident with his three children. He instantly lost his wife and baby girl. He keeps talking about the days and weeks after where he just prayed that he wouldn't lose his sons. And I keep thinking like, where is the grieving for the wife and daughter? When could that happen? And you realize he was just holding his breath saying, please, dear God, don't take another one right now. I'll deal with that later. I have to table part of that right now because I need these boys to stay alive. And I feel like for you that four months might not exactly apply, because you were still so much in that prayer mode, that crisis mode of making sure your other children survived. So it had to unfold in a much more complex way for you, I imagine. Yeah, no, that sounds right. And I, I think I think in that case, there is a similarity there because it was about, I have to keep fighting for, for my other children. I, I, you know, I, 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 I certainly couldn't lose another one. That would have been horrible. <laughs> so we, we had to keep doing that. And, then, and again, even when we thought um, you know, the, the, and again, it's never over, but the goalposts kind of kept getting moved. Now, you know, Daniel came home and it was roughly fine um, until many years later we discovered he had autism, but, which is not life-threatening, right? But for Sophia, it was really like the goalposts kept getting moved, right? And that's, you know, a bit of the kind of Groundhog Day that I allude to in the book, which is that there is a, a constant of, oh, well, this will be okay, and it seems okay, and then you're just waiting for the shoe to drop because something is going to go wrong. And there was, you know, that, that, that kind of aspect of, of, you know, never really thinking you're through it, um, even when logically you do think you should be through it, um, is absolutely part of our story. I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, the going back to the running of uh, an ICU in my house, you know, the, we had nurses, we had machines, there's always something beeping, right? And um, it was just constant um, you know, the noise. And, and, and in fact, the noise is reassuring, right? So like, you know, we're, we're both able to sleep and with the understanding that the machines would beep. And then when there's the absence of beeping, we would wake up, right? Because that would mean something's wrong, right? Which is just very fascinating, just the, what you can, yep. you know, subconsciously. subconsciously. Yep. Yeah, totally. Um, but the interesting part was, and this is true, and it's actually not in the book, was uh, after the the devices were gone after the nurses were gone because she was able to to breathe out of her mouth and her nose. Um, it was actually hard to sleep because there wasn't this immediate, you know, there's this, like my wife talks about this um, more was this, this kind of like phantom getting up. Like she just like pulled up in the middle of the night thinking there was a crisis and there was no crisis. Ted, I just, if you don't mind, I just want to ask a couple of questions that I know everyone is thinking right now. Um, a, how are your children right now? And then B, can you make a comment about the money, the million-dollar surgeries, the 24-hour nurses? Do you have to be filthy rich to get through this? Do you have to be lucky enough to have good insurance to get through this? I can't imagine your compassion toward people who don't have resources. I can't even imagine how many times that thought must have crossed your own mind. But can you talk about that and then afterwards tell us how your children are today? 
Sure. So definitely one of the, the parts of Table for Five is about how could you possibly survive this, right? So um, luckily I had, you know, we had waited long enough and we'd accumulated a lot of resources. And, you know, I'm, I'm again, thankful for what I've been able to accomplish. Uh, and so we had a lot of resources. But even regardless of that, if we didn't have a ridiculous medical insurance, I still would have been bankrupted because 24-hour nursing care a day for years not counting, you know, all the medical procedures, not counting, you know, three major surgeries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think her bill was over $10 million. Oh. So um, now, of course, the way our system works, you don't pay this price. So what? <laughs> right? So uh, I don't know uh, that that would have bankrupted me. So the it is in the book that um you know i at the time um, when the children were born uh you know worked at the largest hedge fund in the world which happens to of course be located in westport connecticut and uh you know i worked pretty directly with uh, ray the founder of this is bridgewater associates and yeah and so um it, this is definitely in the book uh you know there was a, a circumstance there where uh you know the the insurance could have uh, been changed for the negative this is after i left um and uh I emailed him and I said, listen, this would be disastrous, but not just to me, but it does, it violates your principle. And if you know anything about him, he's, he's a man who lives by principles um, and wrote a book about it and governs his life by it. Um, that would violate your principle of taking care of people when they need the help the most. And he took care of it. He sent an email to his senior staff, which is what he tends to do, <laughs> like 30 people saying, is Ted right? If so, fix it. And they did. Yeah. And it was really only being utilized by maybe me, <laughs> probably. And by now, maybe a couple other people. But at the time, it was just me that was you know, affected by the change that they would have made. Anyway, um, but if that's your plan, your ability to call a billionaire and ask for his help, that's not much of a plan. And so you're 100% right. I mean, we even while we were living this, going, well, how lucky are we to be able to have you know, resources that we can you know, have my mother live with us, that we can have you know, help around the house that we can, you know, do these shifts because there are people who work at the same time and are expected to pick up shifts, you know, when nurses aren't there for their children on trachs or ventilators and what have you. And I have no idea how that works. In fact, unfortunately, I do have some idea that it doesn't work well. It results in children having to go back to the hospital. It results in, unfortunately, people, uh, children, uh, you know, uh, har being harmed or dying because uh, th their parents can't provide that care, right? Um, it's, it's, it's a horrible thing that in this country, we don't have healthcare that can meet the needs of people as vulnerable as these, you know, premature or, or just newborns in general. It's, it's a tragedy. It's a travesty. And, uh, later on in my life, um, I was interviewing for a job in, in the UK. Doesn't matter. Um, but, uh, you know, I was talking to them about how, listen, like this, thank you very much, but I, you know, I, how does this all insurance thing work? And they're like, well, what do you mean? Right, because they have the NHS over there, the health, nationalized healthcare, um, and uh, socialized, if you will, um, and then you have private insurance on top. And then, then they were like, "Well, this just can't happen here, right?" And I am like, "It that wouldn't happen here, sir. Like, I don't, I don't really understand." And I'm, I'm trying to ask all these questions about because now by that point we're super savvy about health insurance, right? About how that would work over there. And it's, it's, you're, you're speaking Greek; they don't understand. They don't understand how how American healthcare you can conceivably have insurance that doesn't cover. Like, for example, this case, medically urgent nursing. They don't understand. So you're absolutely right. It's something that, 
you know, for me is, is certainly that something I care a lot about is making sure that, that we have some amount of equity on this because it's horrible. In fact, it's the opposite. I mean, as you already know this, the, the, the people, um, you know, the, the, the minorities, the black and brown uh, parents, um, you know, just, you know, uh, socioeconomic people who are, are poor have worse outcomes. Mm -hmm in terms of the health of their children. And then they have fewer resources. What, the, what kind of country is this? That, that's, that's just terrible. Um, and so, uh, okay, but now, you know, how, how are my children doing now? Uh, well, you know, they're 12 and uh, they have developmental delays. So preemies, that happen, often happens to preemies, especially severe ones. So for them, I think they act like they're about nine or 10 in terms of maturity, in terms of their ability to carry conversation or sophistication. They're both, uh, amazingly sweet and loving. My my daughter is very very feisty. Uh, she gets on our nerves a lot. <laughs> and we have uh, daughters. You know, she, <laughs> ah, there you go. And she she wants what she wants, and she just insists on it. But frankly, that's what kept her alive. She's a fighter, right? so born fighter. And it's going to make her a great she woman. Is. I mean, oh, I say that all yep. the time. She she'll either be president. Um, you know, or she's going to piss off a lot of people or both. Um, <laughs> well, she won't get uh, walked on. Look, there are a lot of women who are raised just yeah. to comply and to be sweet and to be oh. agreeable. And, you know, may we have our voices at every age. And it makes it challenging in those little moments. But you can't help but respect the children who have their voices. They feel like individuals. They recognize themselves as as people who are our emotional equals, if not our equal in any other way, our emotional equal. 100%. And, and, and yeah, so, so, you know, she wouldn't be here if she wasn't a fighter. Right. right. So, and, uh, but you know, she still has her challenges, right? I mean, so her voice through all of this is not normal. Um, she has, uh, some disability in her left leg, you know, so she can't run and, you know, things like that. And, uh, and then my son, so my son is autism, as I said earlier, and that's an ongoing challenge. And, you know, the later parts of the book, you know, in, in table for five, I'm talking about the, the, the change in dreams, Right. And that's, you know, something else that happens to parents that have to go through uh, problems with their children is that they have to reset their expectations mm -hmm. about what it really means. And I think somewhat in a healthy way. Right. Because, you know, I am privileged. I live in a place of fantastical wealth. And, uh, you know, I, 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 it, it would be just appalling. It is, it is currently appalling when I hear stories of, of, of some of these kids and the crazy things they do or the children of some of my good friends and the things they let them get away with. And I'm like, are you out of your mind? Like, I, my, I, I am thankful that my children are alive and I'm thankful that, you know, they're, what I worry about are, are they going to be happy and independent, right? That's it, right? Are you going to be able to have a happy, fulfilled life with friends and loved ones or, you know, spouse or whatever, a children of your own, if that's what you want. Um, and, and are, you know, are you going to hold down a job that's going to fulfill you? Are you going to be able to, um, you know, live, live on your own? That, that's what I worry about. Right. And it's not a given. I think it's likely, you know, I'm optimistic. I, I think it's, it's likely, but I, I, I don't know that. And so that's a huge part of this huge part. Do you recognize that as immense growth in you having your, uh, your Chinese background with the high values, with how your parents had to make their way into the country, with the fact that you went to MIT, you worked at Bridgewater. I mean, do you recognize that that's growth? A hundred percent. I mean, it, it's, you know, I, I think I put a whole chapter in there about it because it's the things that I do now. I'm an entrepreneur now. I've started a whole bunch of companies. I've done a ton of nonprofit work, you know, all sorts of things that I would never have done. Mm. Never, never. Right. I mean, it, it's, 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 there's so much of this is, is about, um, 
growth for me, but also understanding like really, you know, what I think is important. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know, you know, if by this time, you know, I would have continued to be working, you know, in finance or whatever, or maybe I would have gotten sick of it or got fed up or whatever, or whatever by then. I don't know that, but I do know that certainly relative to my children and my family and how I interact, it's, it's different. I, it, it, I do believe it happened for a reason, you know, bad things happen. Um, and I you try not to dwell too much about why they happen and instead deal with like, what can we make? out of this, right? Well, what, 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 you know, not just look on the bright side, but literally like, it, it, did it happen for a reason? Can you put meaning against it? And I, that is, I think the most important thing of all of, all of that that has happened is, is, is I think, I, you know, it's not always easy, right? I, I am certainly not a saint, right? So not every day, not every minute, but certainly I think enough when I see my children, I can be very, very thankful um, that they're alive. Beautifully said. I'm curious what the response has been like to this book, particularly from fathers. Have fathers started to reach out? What have you seen? Who has it reached? Yeah, well, so I, I, I'm thankful that the the, re, the the reception has been pretty pretty good so far. I, uh, I you know I launched it a couple of weeks ago on uh, World Prematurity Day. I've had a bunch of support from you know people I've I've run into in in, in various lives um, who have helped me get the word out, uh, and that's great. And um, you know, I have heard, and this is really the most the most uh, rewarding thing is is hearing. Uh, so really, two two particular stories, but one from a woman who said that she and her husband had lost a child, and that she had bought the book for her husband, um, and it actually provided some insight for her for the first time of what he might have been going through, and that's amazing. Um, and then another one from a dad, and it, it's you know again uh, amazing, I, and 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 it's it's you know for people to have heard about it and then been able to take some strength out of it is the whole reason I did it. Um, and, uh, you know, getting, getting those, um, getting those, those bits, uh, you know, as, as a good friend of mine said, is it's like spiritual fuel. It powers me. It makes, makes me want to go out and do this more and get the word out more. And, and, and what else can I do? Because, because people are being benefited. Um, and, and that's, yeah, it just, it just, it's such a good feeling. If you enjoyed our podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and share a favorite episode or two. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Down to Birth Show or contact us and review show notes at downtobirthshow.com. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always... Hear everyone and listen to yourself. There's nothing more powerful than turning your pain into passion. If you can do that, if you have the ability to do that and you do that, then like you said, you take an extremely difficult situation and you make something healing out of it and purposeful. And what more in life could we want than that? Exactly. Exactly.